Just with the scent of potpourri Film to commit to memory Crossing the felt roads Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. Um, we're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. And while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for tons of bonus audio content, um, including uh, TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, early access to content, and a whole bunch more. Um, I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer. And today on the show, we're going to be reviewing uh, M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Knock at the Cabin which is currently in theaters, and we are going to round out the show with a review of You People, which is a film that is currently streaming on Netflix. And joining me today uh, to do that is first-time guest to the show, Mr. Nick Rogers. He's my friend and colleague from the IFGA, whose work can be found on Midwest Film Journal, and whose Letterboxd activity can be followed at letterboxd.com slash ragecage79. Uh, hello, Nick, and welcome to the Obsessive Viewer. How's it going? Well, it's going well, Matt. Uh, nice. Thanks for having me, and and uh, glad to be here. It, it does yeah, seem crazy course. when you when you said first time guest because we've yeah. we've been you know we've known each other for so long and oh, have, yeah. have have spoken for so long that um, I believe there have been several times where I have said you know oh I can join you and then I've had to back <laughs> out so I'm so I'm the one uh that has caused this delay but i'm oh. happy to be here and and chat with you <laughs> thank you thank you and uh there is no no problem with that i honestly like a look behind the scenes and everything i end up canceling uh recording uh every now and then also just to note to the listener there might be some weird interference noises that pop up apparently um not sure what's causing that but uh hopefully it's not too distracting on the finished recording um but you yeah. can blame blame me for that yes blame, that, that's my penance <laughs> for not coming on earlier there so. we go let's do that <laughs> uh so nick today like i said we're going to talk about knock at the cabin and you people um but i just want to kind of uh like introduce you to the audience and uh let you kind of give your background in terms of uh film criticism and and a lot of the stuff that um you do online. So, sure. uh, so your resume, sir, <laughs> uh, my, my resume. Well, um, so I've, I've been doing this in some sort of published capacity for, um, strangely almost 30 years. Uh, wow. it started, I, I did, um, reviews for a local newspaper of, um, you know, stuff coming out on VHS when I was in, in, uh, high school. So, you know, I remember, you know, like reviewing the VHS of, of Goldeneye, you know, oh, when wow. it came out and, um, you know, putting a review in the paper. Um, but, you know, really, I mean, this is something, you know, ever since I was three, four years old, you know, I've, I've loved movies. I used to like write down the movie times, like in a notebook <laughs> and try to like figure out, like, even if I wasn't going to go, like how many could I theoretically see in a day <laughs> nice. based on how long they were and when the movie times were. Um, so, um, you know, just, 
if, if a little kid is going to do that in his spiral bound notebook, he's going to grow up into, you know, some facsimile of me. So, um, yeah. so, but started off in newspapers and, um, you know, have since moved away from that as a, um, full-time field, but have kept mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the film reviewing, um, going, um, with the film yap, uh, mm-hmm. also some fellow members of the IFJA, uh, and certainly friends of, of your show, mm-hmm. um, did that for a few years. And then, um, Evan Dossie and I, uh, as well as Sam Watermeyer and Allie Cavanis, also in the IFJA, started Midwest mm-hmm. Film Journal in 2017. Uh, nice. And it, it's it's actually it's actually serendipitous um, because Knock at the Cabin mm-hmm. was our tw- 2,500th post at the site. Oh wow! Uh, so I, I did not know that Jeez. until I just happened to be looking today, and I was like, well, "That's a nice round number." <laughs> yeah. So. God, that's wild. I, like, yeah. I, I have a ton of admiration for what you guys do over at Midwest Film Journal because I, I just love it as a collective because, like, I do Obsessive Viewer and, like, I'll have, I'll have like, uh, before Ben spun off his, his to, to his site and everything, he was a contributor on it. And it's just, like, I don't know, I like that, but it, it there's so much... Like so much to to consider when you have like a a collective of of writers uh, pushing content on there, and I, I'm just like I'm in awe of the the administrative stuff of it, really. I, well, um, no, I, I mean, thank you, and I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're obviously you know among our our many contributors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we really just started it, you know, um, to to be that kind of collective. We write about nice. what we want to write about. If something inspires us, you know, um, do a series on it. Um, we even have Australian correspondence now. Um, awesome. so it's like international film journal is, is, is what we <laughs> joke. Um, but it, but it, it's crazy to think that, you know, we've, we've been doing this for just a little over, um, you know, five years. I mean, it mm-hmm. feels like it has kind of gone by in a, in a blink. Um, and, and likewise, you know, as someone who, has appeared on podcasts and mm. enjoys that um, the skill and discipline and technical acumen required to do that is beyond my, uh, <laughs> my limited understanding. So hats off to you, sir, on that. And I'm, I'm in awe of what you are uh, able to do as well. So, well, I appreciate that. And, and thank you so much and everything. I wish that it wasn't on an episode that could have interference coming well, in here. That's why I said, blame, blame the, <laughs> Blame the podcast agnostic person. That is your guy. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but no, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so with Midwest Film Journal, like uh, I, I would hope that my listeners know what the deal is with Midwest Film Journal because I've had like several several uh, writers on from uh, from the side. I've contributed um, a handful of stuff. I've I've got some. Uh, I think three essays that are kind of earmarked for this year. So I'm very excited for those. Um, can you tell us what is to come on Midwest Film Journal and also talk a little bit about your uh, class of series? Yeah. Um, so every year we try to come up with, you know, some month long series or just kind of, um, you know, occasional series to note, you know, someone's you know, uh, a milestone birth or some mm-hmm. kind of anniversary, um, you know, and there's usually one or two things that sort of pop up along the way that we think um, it, it's usually one of two things. Some movie gets scheduled that wasn't previously scheduled and we're like, yes, let's do something around that. Mm-hmm. Or uh, so one of us comes up with a name for something 
that is very, <laughs> that we that we find very amusing to yes. ourselves, and we think you know, we can spin a series around this. Let's do this. Um, but what we have on the books for this year right now, um, in March, we're planning to um, to do a, a month long David Cronenberg mm-hmm. uh, series. Um, and then in May, this is something that we haven't um, we haven't really done um, this this contribution to a film before. But we're going to do um, a look back at um, Danny Elfman, uh, mm-hmm. his work uh, as a composer and his contributions to films. And then um, later in the year, I believe August, we're going to do um, Robert De Niro mm-hmm. uh, as a month long for him. And then uh, every October we do our No Sleep October, oh, yeah. um, which is. Uh, inspired by um, my cohort Evan Dossie's um, general um, disdain for horror movies, which I think has <laughs> softened mm-hmm. uh, over the years as he's done this. He certainly watches far more of them now than he used to. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to round out the year with, um, it's uh, I believe it's Samuel Jackson's 75th birthday. Mm. Uh, so um, we're going to finish up the month with a, a look back at, at some of his roles. Nice. Um, and the, and the class of series that you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. this is something that I've been doing. Um, it took a couple of years off kind of in the transition over to Midwest film journal, but I resurrected mm-hmm. it. Um, it's something that, that I, you know, have done, um, for several years where I take a movie that is either celebrating its 20th or 30th anniversary. Um, and I've expanded it this year to be 40th. Um, nice. so kind of, um, going back into, uh, the eighties with that. So, this year, I'm doing four from 1983, four mm-hmm. from 1993, and four from 2003. Um, so looking at just kind of long form, you know, and these are movies, my, myself, I have rules because, you know, I have to put, you know, guardrails on these things for yeah. myself. Um, <laughs> my rules are no movies that were Oscar nominated for anything. Um, including, you know, like even if it's just best song Mm. or best costume design. Um, so that's been fun. And then nothing that was in the top 10 box office for that year. So nothing that Mm. is an immediately apparent, um, hit or, or critical, um, you know, critically enduring or awards enduring title. So, um, I kicked it off, uh, last month with matinee with, uh, John Goodman, uh, Mm. it's a Joe Dante film about, kind of the intersection of schlocky Hollywood productions and the Cuban missile crisis, um, in, in Key West. So it's, it's a sort of thing that, you know, uh, you know, I remember that movie fondly from when I was, you know, 13, when it came out, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I had not seen it in, you know, at least 25 years, if not, you know, longer (laughs) than that. So it's a good way to, you know, you kind of roll the dice. I mean, I remember when I did reality bites one year, Mm. I was like, Oh oh my, this is not a good movie. (laughs) Um, So sometimes you, you know, you roll the dice and the movie is not as strong as you remember. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's just a nice way to kind of, you know, think back on something that might not get the retrospective love in the listicle era. So um, yeah. Very, very well done. Uh, like good, good Thanks. job with it and everything. It's thank you. I, I love those parameters because it does yield like the most like uh, more deep cut kind of titles yeah. that people don't you know aren't either aren't aware of or forgot about. 
Um, yeah. Do you have any titles you want to throw out that you're you're going to be doing this year? Uh, yeah. So um, I've got the next couple coming up. So I've done a '93. Um, so this month, I'm you know, the other thing I like to throw in there are films that I have not seen. Oh, nice. Uh, so, so so kind of like the ultimate roll of the dice. And I know mm. um, I know that Local Hero is a is a, a favorite of I believe Matt Sosi, who is also okay. one of our colleagues in the IFJA. Mm. Um, so that's a film from 1983 that I'm going to be doing this month. Nice. Um, and then next month is the first of the 2003 set. And this mm-hmm. is a, the older I get, the less I like to use the term guilty pleasure, but I mm-hmm. guess this would fall under the more traditional definition of such a thing. Um, okay. next month I'm, or yes, next month I'm going to do the core, Oh, uh, okay. which, you know, uh, <laughs> timely because apparently our, our earth's core has actually, um, perhaps stopped rotating according to, um, live, intelligent scientists huh. and not hollywood so we'll see we'll see how that goes for the planet nice um, I, uh, hopefully, hopefully better than in the movie yeah um, oh yeah i did not catch wind of that news and now i am horrified that's great i, I um, mean i don't know that it's yeah. as big a deal the, the mm-hmm. article i read suggests it's not as big a deal as okay. you know it was for aaron eckhart and hillary swank so sure. uh, so that'll be um so that'll be march and then um <laughs> just a couple like later on in the, I mean, there's still some big ones in there. I mean, Kill Bill volume one uh, oh. will be later this year. Um, nice. already, already 20 years old, almost, Jeez. which is crazy. And then um, I'll do Tombstone later in the year, uh, uh, which will be a 30 year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, yeah. I, uh, I kind of, I didn't necessarily grow up watching Tombstone, but just mm-hmm. when, when, well, when I was a kid, we would watch it a lot on it. And it's just, it's it's fantastic. I think that that that's that was maybe and this might be maybe not blasphemous or anything, but this that was kind of like an entry point for me um, into the Western genre, um, yeah. which is kind of a kind of a bit of a blind spot. I know our our uh, friend and colleague Andy has a uh, whole Western list yes. movie blind spot thing that he's doing. I'm like I've wanted to like go find that and kind of just kind of steal it a little bit and then go <laughs> go into it a little bit too because there's there's several that I haven't but Tombstone is just yeah, a blast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to rewatching that. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I'm also going to do Kill Bill Volume 2 next mm-hmm. year. Nice. Um but but with the appropriate break because that one was 2004. <laughs> right. So. Right. Nice. Well, that's so, awesome. So yeah, that's a that's a little taste of you know, what we've got coming up at Midwest Film Journal this year, along awesome. with, you know, Blu-ray reviews, mm-hmm. um, other streaming releases, major releases. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, that is very, very, very impressive. Just uh, like great job with uh, all that all of you guys do over at Midwest Film Journal. Well, and, and thank um, you again for contributing to yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Oh. I was, yeah, yeah, I was going to make the joke that... Uh, uh, and I don't know how much of it is an actual joke, but uh, I was going to introduce you as uh, uh, the man who I believe uh, almost probably single-handedly uh, makes my words sound a lot better um, no, when I no, submit no, 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 to Midwest no. Film Journal. Um, no, I, it, it, it's yeah. funny because, uh, you know, like I mentioned, the 2,500 pieces, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, I have edited or written all of those. Wow. <laughs> so, um you know, uh, so I, so I have, I have looked at all of them, um, mm-hmm. but, but, but no, Matt, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's rarely, uh, any, any heavy lifting to be done, uh, 
you know, for, really from any of our, our people and, and you oh, certainly yeah. contribute great work. So oh, I, I love, I loved your, uh, your, you are the resident expert on, on screen, of oh, course. Yeah. And, and your piece on screen too was, was great. Um, oh yeah. Just, just, I, just, a, just a, yeah, tid, <laughs> another funny tidbit for regular listeners who know that, that Matt, um, who know Matt is a scream expert. Mm-hmm. I was at a movie trivia night a couple of weeks ago and, <laughs> and there was a question, um, how many people are killed in the original scream? Um, and we, <laughs> we, we got a count, I think like up to like five or six mm-hmm. and, and, um, when I got home, I knew Matt would knew it, know it right away. And I asked him and he's like, Oh, seven. And yep. he just rattled them off. I was <laughs> like, there it is. Yep. Yep. Uh, you would, I believe you said that you had forgotten Steve. Um, yes. and, uh, the cameraman, I the think cameraman, the cameraman Kenny. and Steve were the two that we forgot. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I love scream. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited for scream six. It's, it's yep. ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like I, um, I'm hoping that I'll have, uh, have Mike, my, my, uh, a recurring co-host on the podcast, uh, Mike on for scream six, but I had sent him a, uh, cause he's a huge scream fan as well. And like after the trailer came out, like he hadn't, he didn't watch the trailer and I, I said I wasn't going to watch it. And then like three minutes later, I'd watched it twice. Um, so <laughs> I had, I have a note on my phone, on my, on my notes app where I write out basically like, oh, I think that this is what they're going to do with Scream 6, like based on the trailer. And I'm like getting excited as I'm typing it. And then I sent, I sent Mike a screenshot of that with like all the words blocked out and everything and saying like, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be like geeking out over this and right. if I'm right or if I'm wrong or if they completely like do something different, but I have a feeling that it could be that. But anyway, I'm very excited for that. So, well, well, hopefully, hopefully you'll be proven right. And, yes. and, uh, you feel vindicated and thrilled at the same time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we have two movies to review this evening. Yeah. Uh, knock at the cabin and you people. So first, um, since I, I usually like to do like a, the theatrical release and a streaming uh, title. Um, since Knock at the Cabin is the more high profile one, I would say um, I'm gonna kind of uh, want us to get started with that. But before we get into the actual review, by the way, the way that we're gonna do it is uh, a non spoiler review, and then I'll play a clip from the trailer, and then play and do a spoiler review. To navigate uh, that, there are timestamps in the show notes of the episode, which can also be found at obsessiveviewer.com/ov389. Um, but before we get into the review proper of Knock at the Cabin, um, Nick, what is your relationship with M. Night Shyamalan's movies (laughs) and Uh, how, yeah, yeah, how has that ebbed and flowed throughout the decades? (laughs) Um, well, in the, in the parlance of, of social media, it's complicated. Um, (laughs) I, you know, like everyone, I loved the sixth sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll always remember seeing it opening weekend and the entire theater just gasping when everybody realized, um, you know, what was happening at the end of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, That's awesome. I, I wish I, I would have gotten that yeah, kind of theatrical um, experience. And, and, and so I, you know, I love that. Um, my favorite film of his, which I know a lot of people don't necessarily like was the one right after that, which was unbreakable Nice with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I thought signs was okay. 
I thought the village was a little less okay. And then mm-hmm. from there, it's it's largely kind of a nosedive for yeah. me. Um, and um, so, but I got I got very excited mm-hmm. when at the end of Split, you yeah. know, I'm I, of course I'm the only person in the movie theater who, who you know, it's <laughs> it's like the opposite of the Sixth Sense. It's like yep. everybody in the theater is riveted, and then you know, twenty some years later. I'm the only person who even knows what the hell is going on. Like, <laughs> oh, that's Bruce Willis's character from Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some other movie. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I thought Split was okay. I didn't hate mm-hmm. it, but I, but I was very excited about the possibility of another Unbreakable movie because yeah. I, that's my favorite movie. And then Glass came out, and um, if, if people want to read my, you know, fulminating venting screed about <laughs> that, they can find it at the Midwest Film Journal. But I just. You know, it was like an unburdening of my soul because I just was so depressed by that movie and yeah. uh, did not did not care for it um, at all. And you know, now we know that it was sort of the you know the last vestige of um, you know mental physical wellness that Bruce Willis really had trying oh, to make yeah. something, and 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 you know that that adds a layer to it too. Mm. That you know, it just it just feels like a um, kind of a sad missed opportunity. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, did I enjoy Old, which was his previous movie? <laughs> yes, in a, in a stupid way. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, I think it. I think it, he sort of knew that it was goofy and approached yeah. it as such. But um, I, I walk into pretty much every one of his movies just with very. I try to keep like middle expectations. Like mm-hmm. you know, I don't want. I, I don't want to walk in thinking I'm going to hate it, but. You know, I never want to walk in thinking like, oh, this is going to be like I felt when I saw Unbreakable. So, right. um, you know, back and forth, it's it's complicated. Yeah, his work is like it it demands a level of managed expectations and with just a ton of caveats in it. Yes. Like, yeah, um, yeah. A, a funny anecdote about my my history with M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I like that, like Sixth Sense came out like during my like formative, like movie, um, enjoyment years or like when I was kind of transitioning from like movies as, as just something that my parents would rent every, every week or so at Blockbuster to, oh, this is the thing that's going to control my entire life for the rest of my days. Yes. (laughs) So like... In that in that transitional period, I discovered like IMDb message boards and discovered that like, oh, people really like these prestigious movies. And mm-hmm. so I became like a teenage film snob. Uh, like, I feel like that's a rite of passage for anyone, really. Oh, <laughs> um, for sure. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. And one of my Talk, first... talking about movies with your friends that that they they're like they're nodding and like yeah okay, yeah whatever exactly <laughs> and uh, proclaiming which I I do now as without with with the with um I I proclaim this now as some as someone who can appreciate it now but like even when I was a kid, like I'd be like, Oh, seven samurai is my favorite movie because no one's seen it. No one's seen this 1954 Japanese samurai movie that's subtitled in three and a half hours long. Um, but, but I do love it dearly. But anyway, um, so in, in those days, 
Um, I remember I watched Sixth Sense when my mom was watching it, having rented it. And I think I was just kind of like drifting in and out of it. I was doing something like just it was in the background. And then I remember seeing the ending and being like, oh, that's really cool. I kind of wish I would have been watching this, but that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and then from there, like I became kind of obsessive about M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and in the meantime, I was on the IMDb message boards that are now no longer there. Um, and I, at one point, a few years later, or I guess around 2004, it would have had to been 2004. I started writing like my own, like, like the first time I really like wrote a movie review was on like, was on like the IMDb page uh-huh. of the movies and everything. And like, I remember, <laughs> I remember the kind of classic classic example of the naivete of of teenage matt that when the village came out i was working at a movie theater i was 17 i think um i was working in a movie theater and they uh would do like they would they would check the projector and everything the night before so like i closed one night it was the night before the village came out and a bunch of people were staying behind to watch it and um and like i got to stay behind and watch it and i watched uh-huh. it before everyone else did <laughs> Yep. And so I hurried home and I wrote a review that the first line of it, I remember vividly, the first line was, The Village is M. Night Shyamalan's latest masterpiece. And it's just a glowing review that's mostly like, mostly just like I was excited that I got to see it early. Sure. (laughs) And that happens. Yeah. And I was blown away by it. I did genuinely love it and everything, but I just remember like, just the the audacity of saying that like oh this was his latest masterpiece and it's just like okay um <laughs> but it's uh but yeah but i i do love uh i i love the sixth sense unbreakable is one of my favorites as well um with split that was just one of my favorite theater experiences ever and because of that ending and it was just like this this amazing moment for me <laughs> because I remember like midway through uh midway through the movie there was a um there was like a a car outside of the outside of um the house or whatever that just had Phil- like that's where we saw like oh it's set in Philadelphia obviously because uh-huh. it's Shyamalan and like I remembered thinking in that moment like oh it'd be you know it's interesting I it would be kind of neat if Shyamalan did like a shared universe or something like the Philadelphia verse or something Right and then I was like, yeah, that'd be kind of neat. And then the end of the movie comes and I'm like, oh, you know, this this music sounds a lot like Unbreakable. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just it was it was awesome. But but yeah, with old after that, like I or glass glass, I didn't I didn't dislike as as harshly as as a lot of people did. But I just kind of found it to be like it came and went and it was like, okay, that's fine. That's the conclusion of this trilogy. And I'm just like, okay, well it's been like 20 some years or however long. And like, that's how he ends it. Like not even, not even that, not even that that's how he ends it, but that this is, I felt like so much time had passed. I kind of wish that there was a little bit more heart put into it really. (laughs) And like effort, but, um, but yeah, but he he is definitely a mixed bag filmmaker and it's interesting with old i kind of thought that i don't know if i i don't know i've i have this thing in my head with him where i kind of feel like he doesn't he either 
frequently just doesn't understand what um, humans talk like sometimes. <laughs> and, right. and other times he doesn't really grasp like senses of humor all that well. Like that's that's kind of one of his Achilles heels for me. Um, and my, the biggest example I have is like in the visit, which I think is just a, people were praising it as his, his return from like director jail and everything. And I'm just like that, like I, here's the, like, and it, it, I don't know, this is kind of an easy cheap shot, but it was like a diaper full of shit in the face. Like for me, yes. It yeah. was, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't like the visit. The visit, uh, yeah, man, that's another one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, good for you for making a a financially successful movie. But, yes, but you know, to get back on the map, but boy, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, but just like like the kids were kind of annoying in that movie. Like like the one kid wanting wanting to be a rapper, and I guess that yes. that was supposed to be funny to the audience, but it also just felt like so. Um, out of touch with everything <laughs> so i don't know but it's not like t yeah. diamond styles or something like that was his name oh my like god some weird i i don't I know don't know why that's lodged in my bit something like that it's either p diamond styles or t diamond styles that sounds right i will say that like the my brain like that that just was pushed out of my brain by mid-sized sedan in right. old <laughs> right like right. i only I have enough space yeah. yeah i know it's like all the things that i should remember and and diamond styles <laughs> is, is what pops back in yeah anyway. yeah it's uh an old was just it was something so anyway um uh i will say this he's always interesting he always yes. gets something something out of out of the experience for me like that that's something that i can even if i don't like if if i don't like his stuff or if i don't if i viciously like hate what i watch from him it at least it's eliciting some kind of feeling so um so yeah that's that's high praise for Shyamalan, i guess well i mean um, you know i think i think even if it's disappointment or um you know, discussed with mm -hmm. how it's turned out. I mean, you know, he's at least eliciting some, you know, some passionate response, which is, yeah. I mean, a lot of filmmakers don't do that. They just oh, yeah. sort of do their job and deliver, mm -hmm. you know, something very anonymous. I mean, yeah. I think that's the thing is his stamp is all over everything that he does, yes. whether the stamp is applied well or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which brings us to Knock at the Cabin. Um, I am going to go ahead and intro it. Basically, knock at the cabin. The premise, according to IDB, is um, I'm going to set a marker there so I know where to find it. Anyway, um, <laughs> knock at the cabin. The premise, according to IMDb, is while vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. Of course, Shyamalan directed it, and it is written by uh, M Night Shyamalan and Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. Um, and it is based on the book, The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. The cast includes Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Amuka Bird, uh, Rupert Grint, Abby Quinn, and Christine uh, Q. Um, I apologize if I butcher any of those, but um, yeah, so... Nick, going into not, knock at the cabin, not cabin at the end of the world, but knock at okay. the cabin. Um, I know that you had you did not read the book. 
Um, right. What were your expectations going in? And of course, we're going to do non-spoiler and then spoiler review. So what, okay. what did you think? <laughs> um, so my expectations going in, I mean, I, you know, as with anything, I was, you know, in, intrigued by the premise. I mean, I, I think if, if nothing else, he, he, he has good setups. He, mm-hmm. He's good at, you know, eliciting the intrigue of where he's going to take something. And there was certainly that presence here. Um, I like Dave Batista a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that um, he's, he's kind of of a piece with, with John Cena in the sense that he's willing to, um, you know, kind of put himself out there for mm-hmm. things that, um, you know, you may not expect of former, you know, wrestlers uh, slash MMA fighters yeah. um, and, and, you know, who make the move into to performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I um, I don't know that I sought the trailer out, but when mm-hmm. I saw it, I thought, you know, well, visually that looks, um, you know, kind of appropriately claustrophobic and yeah. desaturated and and interesting to me in a way that it wasn't, you know, kind of spiraling out into some, you know, weird fantasy um, spin on it, right. uh, you know, not like Lady in the Water or something like that. Um so, you know, those were my, those were my expectations that, that I had, you know, going in. I mean, I'd say they were probably maybe a little higher than they might normally be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but that's, that's where I was. Nice. Up until the moment that you said Lady in the Water, I completely forgot that that movie existed. <laughs> um, yeah, most yeah. people have. Yeah. I just, that, that just kind of blows my mind a little bit that, cause yeah, anyway, um yeah my expectations for it were were fairly low like like we said it's 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 an m night Shyamalan movie it can really go either way and um i made the decision to read the book before seeing it which usually i i I like to do that because i'm anal retentive about a lot of things but also it is all like it without question it always sets sets it up for failure for me because you can't i i just don't think watching a movie based on a book after you have experienced the book and created a film of it in your head like i don't think that that's conducive to a good experience in the theater um but i have grown up <laughs> i've tried to separate the, separate the media mediums um there but uh, my expectations for Knock at the Cabin, I was pretty vocal about this, that M. Night Shyamalan is someone who I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if I will be as excited for a movie by him as I have been in the past, just okay. because he's such a wild card. But I am very, very intrigued and um, in, intrigued as a, in, in a fan of Dave Bautista and seeing him in the trailer, I'm like, yeah, okay, this, I, I'm going to see it for Dave Batista, not for Shyamalan, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and yeah, let's, let's get into it. Um, what did you think? What did you think in non-spoilers of uh, Knock at the Cabin? Yeah. So, um, for me, this was, um, now I, I have to preface this by saying it's probably mm-hmm. a low bar, but it's the yeah. bar we have. Um, <laughs> this was my favorite. M. Night Shyamalan movie since Unbreakable. Um, I, you know, it, it was, um, it was a very, um, you know, grim, um, quickly paced mm-hmm. um, sort of movie about, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it, it's about a pending or potential apocalypse, 
Um, but it also kind of, I think, was informed to me in some intriguing ways about the last several years of the real world and yeah. kind of the way that people have responded to the pressures and the panics of things beyond their control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I thought it was just a, um, you know, it was, it was a little bit nastier, I think, in terms of, I mean, it's not, it's not bloodier in terms of explicit gore or anything, but it just, it felt more relentless Mm -hmm. than a lot of his other films. It doesn't really have the release valves of goofiness or, you know, um, you know, like the weird twists of old of, you know, what was happening in that, um, you know, even his, you know, his perfunctory cameo is just Mm. a, a, a blip. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> especially as opposed to what it was in old. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was, I was pleasantly surprised, um, you know, when it was over, I mean, I, you know, on the drive home, you know, I was mulling over a lot mm-hmm. of different things thematically about it. Um, you know, narratively, I thought it hung together very well. Casting across the board, I thought was fantastic. Um, I think it's going to be, in the spirit of the rest of his films, I think it's going to be divisive mm-hmm. for people. Um, I think there are people who are going to, going to roll with where it goes. And there are people who are going to roll their eyes at where it goes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, 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 but for me, it, it, it worked very, very well. Nice. That is, that's good to hear. I, I think that I am a little bit, I, I'm not as hot on it as you are, but I enjoyed it for for what it was. I, I enjoyed it. I was able to, for the most part, separate my opinion of the book versus that. It, I found it to be really interesting, and uh, maybe I'll expand on it in spoilers a little bit, but I found it interesting that the book, the way the book unfolds, like, it, this is, this is not an exact, like, beat-for-beat beat, um, adaptation. There's a certain point in the book where the movie diverges from the book in a significant way, and then the rest of the movie is is fairly different. And what I found interesting is that um, in the like last third of the book, I was interested, but it had like a waning experience of of interest in it. So by the end of the book, I'm like, okay, that that's fine. I was more into the build up toward all of the stuff going on than mm-hmm. I was with the payoff of of the entire book, and then. When watching the movie, I realized at a certain point, I'm like, oh, they're, he's he's doing something very different from the book. That's interesting. And then, like, I had the experience where I realized, like, oh, he's doing something. He's doing the thing that I, when reading the book, thought, oh, it would be better if he if the book went this route. So he was doing the thing that I thought would be better for the book. And then at the end of the movie, I'm like... It was okay. I don't really care. Like, like it was a little bit of a downer for me too. So I'm like, it was weird that they have two, like both, both stories have pretty different endings and I wasn't really a fan of, of either one, but yeah. Yeah. But having said that, everything else in the movie, I think worked really well. Um, like you said, the claustrophobia of the cabin and the characters in it, it, there was a, a very, uh, a, a varied variety, a varied variety, um, <laughs> a, uh, plenty of variety to what goes on in the cabin, like how, how the, how the, um, 
home invasion sort of aspect of it and the hostage stuff and the violence, how there's this like free flowing effort to, to make it unique at every turn. And I uh-huh. thought that was good. That's, that's good. That's solid. Um, and yeah, the acting was, was really good as well. Dave Batista, I think uh, maybe, maybe I went in with a little bit of a bias, but I mean, I think he was just phenomenal. And to yeah. your point, like, I think he is, he's making so many interesting choices with his roles and, and like, um, I'm glad that none of them involve him, uh, begging, begging like the public to go see a superhero movie or something right. or right. try to convince everyone that it was successful. <laughs> um, like he's being very smart with his, with yeah. his film work. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, so having not really experienced the 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 plot except for in the movie how did you feel about the way that it unfolded did you buy into the premise even because it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy premise yeah i mean i i did buy into the premise i mean i, I think that um you know if, if people have seen Shyamalan films or know his usual mo they're they're expecting the rug pull right okay this yeah. is the setup you know, they have to, they have to choose to sacrifice someone in their family. And if they don't, the world will end. Okay. Well, all right. Where's the twist? There's always a twist, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think that I appreciated the, the straightforwardness of this movie. Um, you know, and, and I guess maybe it's, it's, you know, I'm not spoiling specifics, but I Mm -hmm. think that, um, you know, there is a definitive, arc to this movie mm-hmm. um you know it it ends in a way that concludes the story mm-hmm. um you know there's there's no draw your own conclusion cut to black at the right. end of this um you know and i i appreciated that and i think that the that you know where it goes um i, I think that you, you're gonna have some people that i think walk out and maybe feel like boy he really screwed that up um <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, but but I I did appreciate um, you know where the story went. I liked that it was um, you know it he it didn't feel like he was he was trying to stay one step ahead of me. It was right. just it was just here's what I think is interesting about the story. Here's what I think is interesting about these people, mm-hmm. and that really was the thing that stuck with me. Is that you know perhaps for the first time since Unbreakable, I felt he is curious about how these characters feel, not what is happening to them. Oh yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, I mean, if you're going to throw seven people into a cabin, you kind of have to approach it that way because you, you eliminate the, you know, external environment. Um, You know, certainly there are things from the larger world that, um, you know, come to intrude on that Mm -hmm. space. but, uh, you know, I think that was really what set it apart for me is that, you know, these were characters first and foremost, mm-hmm. rather than, um, you know, pawns to move around something, you know, some clever plot that he had concocted. Absolutely. I think that's right on the money. And I think that that's where uh, the fact that it is an established book, I, I like I, I know that he had adapted um, old from a graphic novel. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with it one bit, but this like even even with the diverging plot or diverging diverging 
um, element in the latter part of the movie from the book that first the first like two acts of the movie follow the book pretty pretty closely and in honors the characters has the characters set up as they are in the book and everything which i think really helped let Shyamalan rein in some of his his more uh, i don't know if abrasive is the right word but the more like egregious storytelling um yeah. tropes and and ideas cuz like you said it's not, he's not trying to outsmart the audience he's not trying to pull one over on us he is telling the story of this family that are being held captive by these by these people who are driven by something that may or may not be pure insanity or something crazy um and and that i think is really really refreshing because it feels like it feels like this is this isn't so much an M. Night Shyamalan movie, even though his name is like multiple times on the poster, but <laughs> it feels like this is a movie that M. Night Shyamalan made. And I yeah. don't know if that's a clear enough delineation or or what have you, but it, it just feels like a a much more measured um, film than than I've seen from Shyamalan to your point since unbreakable honestly yeah, yeah. i just I, I i felt an investment in the ideas here more than i had you know mm-hmm. in in a very very long time yeah oh yeah and i meant to check and see i'm gonna covertly check this out but um it is like what the rating was because it would have to be rated r right i'm pretty sure it was rated r i think okay. it's his second i I now I had forgotten about this movie because mm. um, I thought it was like oh this has got to be his first R rated movie right mm-hmm. no the happening was also rated R was it um, really yeah um, wow so um, but but this huh. is this is a vast improvement on the happening uh, yeah um, oh yeah so um, so yeah I mean I think that also lends to like I said it's not a particularly bloody movie in terms of what you see but it is um there's a relentlessness to the idea and mm-hmm. to the atmosphere that uh, that i think you would lose if you tried to compromise it for the sake of a wider audience absolutely and it is yes it is rated r and like you said it's it's not it's not it is i mean it is pretty pretty extreme in terms of violence but it's not it's nothing it feels like it's cut for pg-13 <laughs> uh yeah in some it parts. does yeah i mean um, but i mean i guess to me not in a way that diminished mm-hmm. the um the grip and the effect that it, it it sought to have absolutely the um the the end result is like it it tells what it wants to tell basically and shows what it wants to show um to your point about the uh cameo and then we can probably kind of transition more toward spoilers here in a second but um his cameo like i kind of feel like there maybe there's an essay to be written about this but i feel like his his cameos i feel like maybe there's like a line that can be drawn between his cameos and his for lack of a better word hubris and humbling in his career because like the example that I always, always bring up is his cameo in Signs. Mm-hmm. Like when, it, I mean, that's basically like a supporting role, but um, his first appearance in Signs feels like so just 
it feels like so like this guy was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly being pro- proclaimed as the next Spielberg. It's he's very much in his head. He had like I'm sure he had a blank check to to make whatever he wanted. So the first scene and signs that he is in, you have I think it's Abigail Breslin uh, looking, seeing him out the window of the pizza shop and saying like, is that him? And it's just like, yeah, we we get it, Knight. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, OK. <laughs> But here it's just like he's just, you know, he's just he pops up and in a yep. pretty organic way. So, yes, um, I don't know. So I, I do appreciate that. And, and like when he does things like that, when he has those types of more subtle cameos or less substantial cameos, that helps really tell the story a lot better because yes. we need to really like we need to buy into the premise. We need to we need to draw our own conclusions about what's happening and everything. And, and if we have him popping up and being like, here, I'm going to explain everything to you. (laughs) Like, no, like let's, let's not do that. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to bring us into spoilers here in a second. Um, before we do that, for those who, for those who don't want to hear the spoiler, um, review yet, uh, what are your overall thoughts? You said that it would be that it's better or it's as good as, uh, as good an experience as Unbreakable was, where would you rank it with Shyamalan's uh, movies and, and how does it make you feel for future projects he, he may do? Yeah. I mean, I would say um, this is probably my third favorite of his, um, you know, behind um, Sixth Sense at at two, Um, Mm. you know, probably I'd say, you know, in between Sixth Sense and Signs, um, so, nice. you know, I, I guess I look at it this way. Um, you know, one of the things that I think this movie talks about as far as a real life concern is the confusion of incident and pattern. Hmm. Um, and in that spirit, I don't want to say I think he's back, mm-hmm. that his, you know, that he's his next movie is going to be you know, uh, you know, equally strong, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could revert to the sort of ridiculousness that he's trafficked in for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I guess I would say, you know, on its face, not knowing what it is, you know, I'm certainly more excited to see it than I would have expected to be, you know, um, prior to seeing this. Nice. Awesome. Um, I would probably rank it. Uh, I, I didn't really give any thought to this. (laughs) Really, but that's yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I would think uh, probably Unbreakable is probably my favorite. I'd probably put this honestly, uh, probably third or fourth. Um, because I do I have such a soft spot for signs. Um, so pretty much the same ranking you have, but signs kind of overcomes uh, yeah. um, this one. But I mean, it it was it was enjoyable, it was fun. Um, well, fun with an asterisk, but right, <laughs> it was definitely. Uh, like I said, just him reining in his, his impulses, uh, really worked for me, (laughs) um, as an audience member. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring us into spoilers. Um, in order to do that, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. So when we come back, I'm going to be, we are going to be spoiling knock at the cabin. Um, if you want to skip over to the rest of the show, check the show notes uh, for timestamps and everything. Once again, those are at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV389. And here's a clip from the trailer for Knock at the Cabin. And when we come back, we're going to be spoiling the movie. We were called and are united by a common vision. 
which has now become a command that we cannot ignore. The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision. If you fail to choose, the world will end. Right, so spoilers on for Knock at the Cabin. Um, Nick, something that I that I didn't that I didn't bring up that probably should have brought up and not spoilers was one like I like the acting across the board and everything. I do feel like Rupert Grint was maybe a bit miscast in it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think you can probably drag that into spoiler territory a okay, little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that was a case of that's probably the only sort of misdirection Mm -hmm. um, that there is in the movie. I would say in the sense that you would presume, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the second most recognizable face in the movie (laughs) is going to last longer than a half hour. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it might be, it might be earlier than a half hour Mm -hmm. before, um, before he buys it because so one of the, one of the things that, uh, accompanies the warning that the apocalypse will happen if they do not make this choice mm-hmm. is that each of these four people will sacrifice themselves ritualistically mm-hmm. um, and in, in a way that, you know, will basically unleash another plague, uh, you know, up, upon the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and Rupert Grint is the first of the four mm-hmm. um, to sacrifice himself Um and I believe his his plague was the was the um, the waves, uh, right? Yeah, the, the tsunami. Yes, the tsunamis. Yeah. Um, so um, so yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, you could say miscast. I think relative to his skill, and mm-hmm. he's very good in the movie. Oh yeah. Um, because he's you know like the anti Ron Weasley. I mean, he's <laughs> right. like he's just Weasley. Yeah. Um, but. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is this is one of the better casts he's had, even though it's perhaps lighter on the bigger names. Yeah. Um, than he usually draws. Um, so. Um, so, yeah, I was I was I, I found that interesting as well. And I guess as I was watching it, I was kind of thinking like, well, OK, you know, it's sort of like the deep blue sea phenomenon. Like, OK, <laughs> right. this could this could go this could go any way mm-hmm. right now. I mean, they're not keeping the big names around, you know, that's um, that's a really good point. And I I do agree that it almost feels like maybe not stunt casting, but like you said, it, it feels intentional in that in that yeah. way to to a certain respect. But that kind of brings me into one of my bigger complaints with the movie is in that, and and I'm not going to spoil the book at all. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to do like the kind of douchey, like, well in the book it does this and in the book <laughs> this happens. But if you want to hear my thoughts on the book, check out uh, my Patreon uh, at the $2 level. I did a book reaction recording, but anyway, what I, feel like as as much as Shyamalan reined in his impulses as as I've said as much as he's reined it in for this for this movie he still he still kind of stumbles a little bit for me by falling back on his kind of I, I guess you would say his um 
his habit of over explaining things or even giving giving explanation to the ambiguous and i feel like there's sure. yeah, there's like a level of 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 uh confusion on on the part of the filmmaker in this movie because like throughout most of the movie like when when it's introduced that uh, the idea that Redmond may be the man who assaulted uh, Andrew or Eric, Eric uh, um, Andrew, Andrew, yeah. um, that he may may or may not be the one who did that. Like the movie goes goes to the goes through the stretches of of bringing in this doubt and saying like, well, there's no way that like you you don't know that it is. It's, that was a long time ago and all that. You don't know. You could be mistaken. And then even in the flashback to to the incident, like the camera does not show us Rupert Grint or anything, which that's right. great. I I love that because it feeds into the entire idea that like the the question is of is this an apocalypse or is this just these these zealots that are using the opportunity of this to to you know torment this family and everything, and that's great. And then he gets the wallet and he sees that he is O'Bannon and it is, uh-huh. it is him. And then from there, it's just like, I I really wish that Shyamalan would have really dove into the ambiguity of it all. Because I think that that is such an interesting angle, um, especially with the concussion um, of Eric and him, him starting to believe it and everything like uh-huh. all of that, I think could have been handled with a lot more of a, of a spotlight on that in terms of the doubt. So I don't know, did, did, uh, how did that work for you? Yeah. So I I think that, so this is one of the things, Matt, that I sort of wrestled with immediately after and then Mm -hmm. on the drive home. So, um, you know, we're in spoiler territory, so we can Mm -hmm. say, I mean, everything that the people are saying is true. Yep. Uh, you know, (laughs) Tsunamis are wiping people out. Uh, mm-hmm. Viruses are, are killing people. Planes are falling from the sky. There's mm-hmm. electrical storms that are, you know, scorching the earth. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the family realizes, like, yes, like, one of us has to willfully sacrifice ourselves and one of yeah. us has to kill that person. So yep. that happens. Um, and the surviving family members find the bags of the people who have taken them hostage and are mm-hmm. rummaging through them. And... Um, piece by piece, you realize, and they realize they were all telling the truth about mm-hmm. the things that they said about their lives. You know, one of them had a son. We right. see the photo of her with the son. Um, you know, one woman was a nurse. We see, you know, her, um, I think maybe her badge or something, you know, mm-hmm. her, uh, there's something. Yeah. And, and, and that's when it's confirmed that, that yes, um, Rupert Grint's character is the one that had assaulted, um, one of the fathers in the past before any of this ever happened. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a key scene um, for me because what I was sort of wrestling with is, okay, does ending it in this way, um, does ending it in this way sort of embolden or, um, you know, uh, you know, empower people who, you know, are more like dangerously seeing, Mm-hmm. pattern in incident right yeah um you know does it you know does it validate these you know the more dangerous side of this and i thought about it and i thought about it in the context of that scene where they find their things mm-hmm. and i thought okay um even if someone 
you know, if the only response to someone saying this is to condemn what they're saying, mm -hmm. there's still a person behind it. Even if they've been so blinded by, you know, something mm -hmm. that they believe, you know, or confused by it, unable to reconcile it. Um, so to me, it was less, I think, about connecting the dots to, um, you know, that past incident as it was sort of reinforcing, you know, the pattern versus incident kind of idea of, you know, the belief system of these people, but also just, I think, humanizing everybody involved with it that, you know, uh, you know, all these people were reacting to sort of these pressures and these panics mm -hmm. in different ways. Um, I think the flashbacks to the attack are very shrewdly done mm -hmm. and it shows you that Andrew became an entirely different person yeah. than he believed himself to be even in that moment because of the assault that had happened to him. He huh. became more paranoid, more aggressive, mm -hmm. more hair trigger, you know, um, you know, he had this gun that he, you know, sort of didn't really need to buy. Right. right? You know, uh, you know, I think in a way and, um, you know, I, I think to me, it kind of, it congealed everything that it wasn't trying to like make you think, you know, like, oh, you know, these people with these religious beliefs are okay, even if they're extreme. I think it's just right. that extremity can really creep into your life in ways that you don't expect. Um, and so, you know, that to me was where it kind of hung together thematically and, and narratively. Um, that is a very interesting point. Um, that's something I hadn't really considered because I was struggling with figuring out like, what is, what is the main point of the story that he's telling? Like, like what is, what is the purpose behind this? Because my whole thing was, I, I figured that I was probably erroneously thought that, you know, he's telling the story about this family and he's telling the story about this family that has this horrific experience. And then by the end of it, it's, I, I don't, I don't know how their conclusion, um, does anything to wrap up their storyline or tie their storyline up in a, in a meaningful way for me, because Eric dies. It's very ambiguous about whether or not he sacrifices himself or Andrew does it for him. And then we get that weird sort of comedic beat, but not really with the, with the song in the, in the car, right. which I'm just like, okay, like, I don't know what the purpose of that ending for their ordeal was, but I do also like that read of it being that, you know, the the people that are overcome with this, with these visions and with the ideas of it, it isn't about, like you said, it isn't about, um, it isn't about doing, uh, it isn't about just, just having plain villains or anything. It's about humanizing them to an extent, yeah. seeing that they can get brought into, <clears throat> normal people can be brought into something uh, yeah. horrifying. I mean, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to to necessarily say like, you know, this is his pandemic movie right. outright, but I think, you know, the the pressures of persisting through that mm -hmm. changed all of us in some way that yeah. surprised us, you know, certainly, you know, not to the allegorical extreme <laughs> that, you know, the Shyamalan takes it, but um, you know, I think that we we all came out of that different people in ways that, you know, maybe scared us a little bit and i think oh, that yeah. this movie i think this movie like explodes that mm -hmm. um out in into its its idea um yeah quite well but yeah totally um on a more surface level kind of thing i do want to yeah. say that in terms of the depictions of the different atrocities and everything 
there is something for me in in my like soul that feels just so utterly terrified at the idea of planes just falling from the sky and like the fact that like the news footage in the movie showed that and you see that throughout like this the the whole big production of the the climax of the movie there's something that just triggers like a deep-seated fear in me that that is that is horrifying to me so i think that that's a feather in in the cap of the movie for sure um but it's also uh, like i don't know i just found i found the depictions of the different levels of plague and everything to be um to be pretty well done even if the the news footage like the newscasters were a little bit yeah. a little bit shaky um, yeah. but the actual visual visualizing of that was was pretty pretty awesome yeah i agree yeah um, and then I also wanted to just say on record that <laughs> I had the dumbest, uh, reaction, uh, like, uh, tiny, uh, my co-host here and, and on tower junkies, he was sitting next to me in the theater. And when like, I wanted, I didn't do this, but when, uh, they show up at the like diner or the gas station, wherever they were, um, I just like, I had it in my head. Like, it would be amazing if, like Joaquin Phoenix was in there or Mel Gibson was in there. And then the camera just pans over and he's just like, they followed the signs or, or um, uh, like they swung away um, and just like do that. I like, I would have been, I would have been just tickled by that. But anyway, uh, to kind of wind down the review, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about? Um, Anything that any, any other thoughts on the movie? Um, no, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like we covered, you know, to, to me, I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot to chew on in this. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that, um, you know, as is his way, I think he's going to have people debating, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think, I think you're going to have people who love the ending. I think you're going to have people who, who, you know, can't stand it. I, I just, uh, for the yeah. first time, I feel like there's a lot more to talk about, except what happens mm-hmm. narratively um, that, that, uh, that, 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 that's, that's something I was really heartened to see, mm. you know, even, even in something that is so bleak and grim. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess the only other thing I would say is that, um, the cinematography in his films is always really strong. There's really mm. some next level stuff here. Um, yeah. uh, Jaron Blaschke is the, the cinematographer and he has worked on all of Robert Eggers films of the oh, witch, nice. uh, the lighthouse and the Northman, um, you know, just some, some, the close up work in this, that's another mm-hmm. trademark of Shyamalan, but like yeah. the, the close ups begin extreme and just mm-hmm. get closer. Yeah. And I mean, like in a way where you're just like, Oh dear God, are we performing mm. a dermatology exam on David Batista <laughs> here? Like, what are we doing? Um, but but it works to unsettle you and kind mm-hmm. of you know sow havoc in the frame and 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 just it's a really thoughtfully composed movie. I Absolutely, thought. I I agree. I was a little off put by the extreme close ups in the first scene, but mm-hmm. once they get in the cabin and. and I don't know if I don't know if it ever gets that close or that tight on on any actors' faces, but I feel like that's an that's an interesting just in retrospect is an it's an interesting introduction to to like bring us into this claustrophobic movie by having these two characters that one of the few scenes where someone's outside of the cabin have it just be where we don't see any of the any of the outside <laughs> in the frame. Yes. 
Um, so I warmed up to that. The other thing I do want to mention that I forgot about was, um, again, it's, it, I feel like it's maybe Shyamalan's, um, uh, his, his desire to kind of explain things a little bit, but there isn't a conventional twist in the movie, but I know that we were talking outside the theater, um, that it is kind of like the Shyamalan twist that, uh, we have a character explain that like, oh, the, they were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then yeah. <laughs> like that, that just still, it, it made me roll my eyes a little bit. And I, I said, I wasn't going to say anything about the book and I'm still not going to, but I will say that that is not said in the book. Yeah. Even though, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind but, of, I mean, it, like you guys pointed out outside the theater, it's kind of obvious that that's what right, they can go for. You know, I mean, yeah. if you're, if you're paying, if you're paying like the smallest bit of attention, I, yeah. I, mean, I guess. You know, I look, I mean, I've conceded a long time ago, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you put a recliner in a movie theater and people mm-hmm. are going to treat it like their living room. They, they yeah. might fall asleep. They're going to look at their phone. You know, they might come back around and like to hear it said, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> rolled my eyes at that a little bit, mm-hmm. too. You know, also with his characterization of the four horsemen, it's like, mm, I don't yeah. think those horsemen a- stand for the things that you say <laughs> yeah. they stand for. But it's a very, um, very loose fit night. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm like, OK, if that's like a 10 second thing and an mm-hmm. otherwise very, to me, solid. Uh, yeah. Film, I can forgive that. So yeah, that's that's a fair point. My my whole thing was that okay, I didn't I didn't make any connection to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in the book, and I feel a little bit a little bit dumb that Shyamalan like uh, had to f- like like literally point it out to me in the audience. Well, <laughs> so. I mean, he's he's got to make some concessions, right? And I guess yeah. that's the only one he's made here. That's 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 a better track record than he usually does. So. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. So, yeah. So I think that that's about all we've got to say on uh, Knock at the Cabin. I will say that if you are interested in the story and everything, I would recommend reading the book. Um, okay. Yeah, Paul Tremblay. He he's got uh, he's got some pretty good stuff out there. But uh, Cabin at the End of the World was definitely definitely um, definitely good. Definitely really okay. good. Um, He's got that, and then I think it's Paul Tremblay has Head Full of Ghosts, which was really good, and then Survivor Song, which wasn't to my liking. So Cabin in, at the End of the World is kind of in the middle there. Um, okay. But yeah, I recommend it. So uh, yeah, so that is our review of Knock at the Cabin. Uh, let us know what you thought of the movie and everything, and then we're going to kind of wind down, I guess, with the with a, a review of You People. Nick, are you still good for that? Uh, yeah, probably just okay. something maybe a little quicker on that. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Still good to do that. I, I think there's, um, my, 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 there's a couple of people here that I think they're mm. practicing out in our ah, living room gotcha. musically. So hopefully it won't be too. <laughs> no too worries. Loud. No worries. It's good for ambiance, but, um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, we're going to kind of wind down with a, with a pretty brief review of you people. Um, it is streaming on Netflix, uh, the premise is that it follows a new couple and their families who find themselves examining modern love and family dynamics amidst uh, clashing cultures, societal expectations, and generational differences. The movie is directed by Kenya Barris and written by Jonah Hill and Kenya Barris. Uh, or Barris? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, and the cast includes Jonah Hill, Lauren London, Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, Nia Long, and David Duchovny. So, Nick... 
um we had like a list like we, like we were kind of throwing back and forth a few yes. a few different titles and i remember when i kind of landed on this because this is the most recent one that i saw you had said like oh that's the my least favorite of the three yeah <laughs> so well I'm like yeah okay well let's do it <laughs> what did you think of you people yeah i i mean I, I I wanted to like it more mm-hmm. than I did. And I think the, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a few things that, that kind of jump out to me. One is the Netflix problem uh, for mm-hmm. me, which is that, you know, nearly all of their movies are too long because, you know, I, I it has produced some things that their system has produced some films that I think are very strong in mm-hmm. giving their filmmakers latitude this is not one of them. This is yeah. a film that, you know, if you're going to make a romantic comedy where you're pitting Jonah Hill against Eddie Murphy, you have to make that tight. You have to make that snap and, and yeah. really move. And there are just long, very cringeworthy stretches of mm-hmm. this um, that, you know, are not funny, that are simply uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I, I, that was one problem I had with it. Another was, you know, if you're going to have a two hour movie, why are you reducing the moment where these two people meet uh, to a montage where you get no yeah. idea how I, these people of completely divergent culture and background mm-hmm. would, would spark a romantic connection? It does what every romantic comedy you've ever seen does, which it jumps to six months later yeah. and they're about to get married and they're meeting the parents. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I thought, you know, certainly Jonah Hill is a smarter, savvier writer than that. Kenya mm-hmm. Barris has proven himself to be a smarter, savvier writer than that through Blackish and, mm-hmm. and Grownish and, and um, you know, even with Girls Trip, I would say, you know, oh, which yeah. is a, a film that he wrote. Um, it just felt so... You know, it, it was it was almost like a like continuous bits on Curb Your Enthusiasm without the, yeah. you know, without the discipline of, you know, shaping the laughter <laughs> or the structure. It, and um, it, it just it just felt so messy to me, which is a, a shame because it strands some, you know, extremely talented um, performers who mm-hmm. you who you don't see attempting something, um, you know, a little less manic more often like eddie murphy you know is very much you know kind of the straight man here in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways also has some very funny parts um there are some laughs in it um Mm. i think it's you know sort of impossible to assemble the people that you have in it without having you know some incidental laughter but um just some just it does not hang together there are some incredibly incredibly insensitive jokes um related to the holocaust in this movie um that 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 when they when they landed i just thought i I just was my jaw kind of dropped a little bit i was like Mm -hmm. really man um so yeah i i mean you know i i like the people in it i like the concept of it i just felt that the um you know the the execution was just lacking um mm-hmm. and it didn't it also didn't feel cinematic it felt like a long episode of a netflix tv show it really well. did it yeah. really did and like it felt like it felt like that those cringy comedy moments that more often than not did not land at all it felt like those were those were something in in the kind of um 
And in comparison to it being like a lengthy two hour like sitcom episode, those were like all gags that could have used like two or three punch ups um, <laughs> at the script level because it just it was it steered so hard into just the cringe comedy of it. And when you have that coupled with um, a very shaky foundation for the couple at the center of the movie, yes. it just feels like you don't really get any kind of cohesive story about how this, how this kind of very uh, cliched kind of conflict and clashing of, of uh, the parents and the families and everything, you don't really get a strong sense of how that, how that really like hampers a relationship that we're not that privy to in the movie. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember thinking, the scene where they meet, they are on their first date. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're having lunch and there's literally a, a, a cutaway to like other people's shoes, like just walking, like getting up from their tables. It's not even Jonah Hill and yeah. Lauren London. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What, what, why are we seeing this? <laughs> yeah. We should be listening to what they're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Um, it's, it, it was, is, it was just yeah. so frustrating. It, yeah, and it's like you said, it's a, it does what every romantic comedy does. It jumps ahead like six months to where they're at a thing. But what it's different, what's different here is that it it jumps over the most of the meat cute of it, yes. and like there's just nothing. And and it raises like it just made me think like since it's so sloppily done, I'm like, okay, well, how how are they in like a serious enough relationship half a year into it and how has he not met her parents yet like right is there that any was very yeah weird too like just in in the fact that he does that on his own and it just it just feels like very contrived situations yeah um and i like i think it was last year i um the, uh, around the time Sydney Poitier had passed away um they were showing guess who's coming to dinner in the theater uh-huh. and like I went and saw it and like I was blown away I freaking that movie is amazing yeah. that was the first time yes. watching it and like having that kind of in the back of my mind and seeing seeing this movie either in te- I don't think there's any way to to not try to uh to pay homage to it or not de- like I don't think there's any way that this movie could be made without you know guess who's coming to dinner being on the minds of everyone making it sure but to hit to to miss the mark so so aggressively throughout it and yeah. really it, it just it just felt very it felt like just such a big collection of of standalone cliched cringy jokes that just didn't didn't work even even to the point where the the um the 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 required like the expected like heart to hearts that come out at the end of it just feel like like i put in my letterbox blurb like it just feels so unearned and inauthentic it's just yeah yeah when the when the when the bernie mac ashton kutcher version of this movie does Mm -hmm. does better uh (laughs) at at addressing the pertinent issues you Mm -hmm. you you should you should have gone back for another pass yeah absolutely absolutely um i will say that i think with what they were given i do i do think that eddie murphy does something really interesting in it like playing that straight man kind of uh being this this presence throughout the movie that feels very very um 
I guess I, he's he's not playing it up. Like he's not playing up this this. Um, he's not like doing like a Bernie Mac thing, like being very aggressive right. about it. But he's very like even keeled where you know that he's like you you know where you stand with him in the movie. Um, I think that was that was interesting. Um, yeah, he. I mean, his his choice in that performance was easily my favorite thing about the movie. I mean, yeah, it was in, in, intimidating without being um, larger than life yes. about it. Um, yes, yes, yep. Uh, that and I do think in a movie that has so little uh, comedic bits that land the few times that David Duchovny is in the movie, I, yeah. I was I was very pleased with him. <laughs> like yeah. there, I I paused it at one point because there was a there was a line about like the com- I wish that there was more of a combination of him and Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, riffing in the movie because when when she brings up when she's meeting when she's meeting her for the first time and she brings up the police and like you have that tension where it's like okay just stop talking stop talking stop talking and then she says like i guess not spoiler but she says like they've always been terrible to black people and then you just have david duchovny just throwing away that line saying like well it is an impossible job (laughs) like it's just like that (laughs) level like it is cringy it is it is it is a very tough conversation and everything, but it also just, I think the delivery of that landed for me. If, if most of most, if the rest of the comedy was delivered in that way and done with that thing, well, <laughs> it would have landed with me except for the Holocaust stuff. That was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I think it's just, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, look, I mean, I, I, I'm not a prude. I'm okay with, mm. you know, um, you know, there there are jokes related to terrorism in the big sick that mm. that I think are, you know, um, I, I mean, that to me is kind of like, OK, like that yeah. kind of came out of nowhere and was legitimately funny. Yes. Um, and and caustic in a way you don't expect. But this one just kind of, you know, I it, you almost have to I, I'm hesitant to say you have to see it because you, mm. you shouldn't really watch this movie. Right. Um, but but yeah, it just crossed some lines that I was just really surprised that it. Crossed. Yeah, it it really came across as a little a little too try hard in terms of yes. getting a reaction out of the audience without infusing it with anything comedic, really. Um, yes. that at least would would have landed. So I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know if we really have a lot to say in spoilers, but do you want to just dive over to spoilers? Um, yeah. Or anything you want to talk about in non spoilers before? Um, I mean, I, I think this is something that, you know, we were talking about, um, with a friend, um, that had seen the movie too, before mm. I um, jumped on to record. Mm. Um, it's also, so this is a spoiler for, for you people. Mm. Um, it, it's also, <laughs> it's also hilarious that this movie ends with them having had a three month separation, uh, and a reunion that is facilitated by their parents that immediately yes. leads to them getting married. Yes. That yeah yeah let me let me go ahead and what yeah (laughs) let me go ahead and play a clip from the trailer and bring us into spoilers because i want to talk about that because i yeah here's a clip from the trailer let's let's talk about that so here's a clip from the trailer yeah so do you hang out in the hood all the time or do you just come up here for our food and women it's a valid question it is What's the difference between me and you? If Amir and I had a baby, it would be a very nice baby. Mixed race people are really awesome. You know, you have like Mariah and Derek Jeter, and then of course you have the, the goat. The goat. The greatest of all time. Yeah, I know what it means, but who are you referring to? Our guy, the legend, Malcolm X. What 
in the mother. Um, yeah, so like you said, they had a three month break and then they immediately get married. That's a surprise wedding. And even then, even even with that, in my it, in my opinion, they were dating for six months before the break. Like right. I don't feel like that's enough time even yeah. to justify that. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's just it's just indicative of how disinterested that movie is Mm -hmm. in anything besides pushing the buttons they know they can push because they're on netflix and Mm -hmm. they're not going to get feedback to 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 dial it down yeah and and it it just it just like you said unearned is such a Mm -hmm. great description of of how the the that movie lands and Mm -hmm. feels and just phony yeah just yes. really just too phony for what it's trying to pull off oh absolutely absolutely and it just like those those two scenes that happen between uh like julia louis dreyfus and and lauren london and then also respectively jonah hill and eddie murphy those like those big scenes i i appreciate it come like it all coming coming to a head and everything but but I also, I just, like I said, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not built off of anything. Like it, it feels like this is the outline of the movie. This is what it needs to, this is what needs to happen. And everything before that was just a collection of circumstances. And we even get the very, I'm, I'm so tired of like R rated comedies, um, doing like just, the the kind of excursion to like vegas and like having like this little like that feels just so so cliched at this point that it just feels like yeah it's interesting that it's interesting that uh eddie murphy is you know inserting himself into the bachelor party and everything but also this is literally like this is the only time like we've just learned about this bachelor party thing like it's right yeah it just, these these, yeah. these friends, it's like the first time you've seen these friends. Yes. And and Eddie Murphy seems to have like an inordinate amount of intel on these friends. It's right. like, who are these people? We've yeah. never even seen them before. Right. It's just it's so it's just so clunky. It's so clunky and it feels like it feels like it it feels like algorithm filmmaking. Yes. Really. Like yep. that's exactly what it feels like. And yep. even though I did enjoy the I did enjoy the cocaine like running bit. I thought that was funny, but also it just feels like it would be funny to uh, read on like a page of ideas for a more cohesively made movie. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up, and this is just silly Matt Hurt podcast stuff. um, This (laughs) movie, (laughs) uh, Ezra, played by Jonah Hill, is a podcaster, and I did respect um, I put this in my letterbox review, but I did appreciate and respect that in the scenes, um, like in the scenes where he and his co-host are, are doing the podcast stuff, um, they're using like a mixer that is, that is old school, like analog mixer and everything. And then at the end of the movie, when we see that they, that they're successful and everything, they've got a big whole setup and everything. Like you see more, professional or consumer uh higher quality consumer um uh equipment and everything and like i say that tongue-in-cheek because everyone knows that like podcasting is my identity basically but um 
But also, as I put in my letterbox review, it is such a bummer to me that I found more character growth in the set decoration of the <laughs> equipment used in the movie than right. I did in the actual characters. Um, and that just seems very, very like that just that that really brings the movie down for me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah, yeah. And also, it, also to that, to that point about the podcasting subplot and everything, the fact that this pops up every now and then makes, makes it feel like a more, it really makes this movie feel very piecemeal, uh, together because, uh, it, he like, suddenly he's quitting his job to pursue podcasting full time, which right. is, is the dream, but it's also just like out of nowhere. And then when you get to the point where he is having it, he's having it out with Eddie Murphy. He like brings up like, you make fun of me about my podcast and everything. It's like, well, yeah, but, but that's not like a running thing. Like this isn't your character trait. Like it's just the movie touches on it intermittently throughout, throughout the movie. And then we're expected to care about his journey toward right. that. And it's just, and even with, with um with uh with oh god what is what is her name um with amira's uh with her journey of trying to be whatever like a fashion person costume designer costume designer yeah yeah like it just feels like they did the bare minimum to service those like goals and everything and it was it was really really frustrating um yeah so and it spoke to me as someone who wants to be a costume designer um, <laughs> and everything. Not, not really, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that, that just, that really bo- bothered me a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's, you know, um, y- you know, you hate to say it with the talent involved, but it's yeah. just kind of just, just another Netflix misfire. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, and and for especially with Jonah Hill, him him co-writing the script and being, you know, it it being his and uh Kenya Barris's project and everything, it just feels like it feels like there's so much more that he could have done with it and uh, it just feels very squandered. Yes. So so yeah. Um any other thoughts on you people? <laughs> No, I, I mean, I think that, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. I'm sure by okay. this time next year, you know, it'll, it'll be a, a distant afterthought yes. uh, you know, for whatever, for, for whatever February, 2024 brings. <laughs> right. Unless the algorithm goes crazy and we now right. get you people too, or two people, or, or two people. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. So that is, that's our review of you people. Um, uh, I'm going to let you go here in a second, but I, I do want to throw in just a quick potpourri section, which is the section of the podcast where we kind of, we officially wind down the podcast with talking about something that we've watched lately, um, just, or we're looking forward to. So uh, just really brief, non-spoiler, Nick, something that you've watched recently that you want to um, to share your opinion on. Yeah. Um, so what I've been trying to do is, um, so I have a lot of, movies at home that I have that I own but I haven't watched mm-hmm. um nice. and I'm trying to watch them to determine you know do I want to keep them mm-hmm. uh you know so it's stuff that I've gotten screeners for or stuff that people have given me um 
And uh, so I watched um, I, I watched a film. So Evan gave me um, it's it's like Rogue Cops and Racketeers, and it's okay. uh, it's it's uh, it's Italian crime movies. And nice. you know, I watched this I watched this movie called The Big Racket, and it's it's you know on its face it's, it's nothing you know spectacular. It's basically mm-hmm. you know cop you know, getting handcuffed by the system. And eventually he just has to turn to vigilante justice with the victims and survivors of this mob of, you know, like you do, right. Like you do, um, (laughs) you know, there's a, you know, I've certainly watched better movies than that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even since watching this, but there's like a shot (laughs) in it that I just cannot get out of my head, Matt, because it's from 19, I believe 1973, maybe 74, um, somewhere in there. Um, but there's a shot where the, where the, 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 the villains like push the cop, like in a car, like they push it you know, like down a hill. And because of the, when it was made, I don't know how they got the shot they get okay. without like destroying the actor's face because oh, it's just nice. like, there's glass everywhere. It's clearly him. Like he's clearly in something that is, tum- you know, like, I mean, I, I just assumed he was in the car mm-hmm. and I felt, I felt like, you know, like a dumb little kid, like watching this movie, like <laughs> he's, he's in the car, you know? Uh, but it's just, nice. it's like a shot that has sort of, you know, like stuck with me over the last several weeks. And I'm just like, you know, part yes. of me doesn't even want to like read like how they did it. Like, oh, I just yeah. be like, I just want to believe that they pushed this Italian dude in a car <laughs> down a hill and got him out as quickly as possible. Uh, to make this movie, so I know that's kind of a weird, uh, a weird. No, that's perfect. Maybe it fits right in. (laughs) Yeah, that is absolutely perfect. Um, Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of that kind of thing. Where I mean, I know like you and Evan and a bunch of the other guys in in IFJ, like you guys like finding like those deep, like deep cut, weird shit stuff, (laughs) Um, and like that's. That I I love that, and I love the idea of just preserving the magic of that. <laughs> and like, yeah. yeah, it's like um, I don't want to know how they did it. Yeah, even though, like in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like yeah, really curious to know how they did it. <laughs> Absolutely, don't do it. Don't read it. <laughs> nice, I love it. And that was called the Big Racket. The Big uh, Racket. Nice, yes. nice. Um, yeah. With with my potpourri that I'll bring up, I I neglected to mention this weird project that I'm doing just for my own mental health and everything, or just curiosity. Um, I meant to bring this up in the year in review episode we did a couple weeks ago, uh, but it was already like a five hour episode. It was like like three, but anyway, um, (laughs) um, so I have been doing this thing that I'm dubbing the, um, actor chain link project. Cause I couldn't think of a better name for it. Uh, chain link viewing project. So basically, um, my second movie of the year, I rewatched glass onion. And then after that, I watched fool's gold, uh, just on a whim. And then I realized like, Oh, you know, uh, Kate Hudson's in that. So what I've been doing is, and I'm tracking this throughout the year, I'll put a link in the show notes to my letterbox list. But basically, um, in this little project, I'm basically watching a movie and then watching a movie that has an actor from that previous movie and then going along. So I've, so far I've gotten glass onion, uh, taken Kate Hudson to fool's gold. Um, and then Kevin Hart's in that. So I watched right along 
which has John Leguizamo, which I watched Executive Decision, and then Stargate, Clockstoppers. I've I've watched a bunch of stuff, but I uh-huh. yeah, and and I'm really having a lot of fun with it because there are a lot of like just crazy stuff that I haven't been aware of or anything. Like um, I watched Life with Mikey. Uh, yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, 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 and that has Paula Garces in it. Garces, Garces, Gar- uh, Garces, um, in it. Who was in Clockstoppers? But I jumped from that to uh, Annabelle uh, Gerwich was in Life with Mikey, and I found this movie that is this TV movie from 1993 um, with Paul Reiser called The Tower. And oh wow! Yeah, it is crazy. Like. The um the plot summary, and then I'll get to my actual like potpourri section. Uh, the plot summary for this is a mix-up with a security card causes a malevolent building to try and kill an employee on his first day at work. <laughs> and it is like if you go on Letterboxd, the poster art is this incredibly pixelated thing, just with like this nondescript uh title with paul riser that you can't even really recognize him um i found it on youtube (laughs) like someone had uploaded it to youtube it's amazing um it's so silly and weird but from there um richard gant is in it and i watched stone cold from 1991 yes Yes. and This movie, <laughs> again, I I wasn't aware of it, honestly. I know, I, I think, I know you're a fan of it for sure. Oh, very much so, yes. Yeah, and I didn't know what to expect. The plot summary is uh, Joe Huff is a tough loner cop with a flair for infiltrating dangerous biker gangs. The FBI blackmailed Joe into an undercover operation that entails uh infiltrating the brotherhood a powerful mississippi biker gang linked to linked in the murder of government officials as well as dealing drugs with the mafia um i also watched this on youtube i believe because that was the other kind of caveat with this whole project is it needs to be a movie that i haven't seen and a movie that is available to stream somewhere yeah so uh this movie stone cold was so much fun it's got brian bosworth who i guess was an nfl player Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was was in the era when they were trying to make, you know, movie stars out of athletes that, you (laughs) know, had modest acting talent at best. Yeah. Um, I wonder what happened with that. Uh, (laughs) It's OJ. Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, this was such a blast. It is that is it it is that level of kind of schlocky action and drama uh, stuff. But the the the. The choreography and the things that happen in the finale of the movie is just had me cackling in all the right places. It was it was so much fun. And like, I think someone someone pointed out somewhere that I don't know if it was I don't know if it was you or or someone on Facebook or someone on Letterboxd, but someone pointed out that it's amazing that and this is a slight spoiler, but it's amazing that like with everything that happens in the end, as bombastic and crazy as it is it doesn't accomplish anything <laughs> like, like, right, like right. nothing, nothing that is supposed to be like resolved is uh, like, is resolved is at resolved all. Yeah, at it's, all. Yeah. it's just, it's so much fun. It's, it's a blast, but yeah, so that's yeah. my, 
my thoughts on stone cold um <laughs> it's just funny because if if your if your listeners can hear it and there's there's some lovely cello playing happening oh yeah out in, the, in the other room <laughs> like over the discussion of this like greasy cheeseburger movie with yes. like brian bosworth as a as a biker <laughs> undercover like it's yes yep and from <laughs> from there i i wanted to do uh lance henriksen and like there's so many that i could have chose from but for some reason i just i just chose mom and dad um yeah because it was on hulu and everything that was fine that was that was pretty solid um but yeah but i'm looking forward to that one of the reasons why i'm doing this is that i want to have like a time where i'm like okay when i when i try to figure out what to watch i don't want to waste too much time trying to figure out what to watch so i'm like i just have a built-in like oh okay Here's a list pull, of movies. Pull the trigger on this. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So no, that's a that's a great project, and that'll be fun because you never know where it's going to take you either. It's oh, like, it's like absolutely it's like a perfect spin of the wheel. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's why I'm very excited about it. So yeah, um, I'll be checking in with that throughout the year um, on on the podcast, and uh, yeah, that will just about do it for this episode. Um, Nick, before we go, can you tell people where they can find you online and all your work and what you've got coming up? Yeah, uh, so you can find my work on Midwest Film Journal, which is at MidwestFilmJournal.com, all one word, MidwestFilmJournal.com. And if you, uh, as Matt said, you can find me on Letterboxd, too, at at RageCage79, Cage with a K. Um, And I'm also on Rotten Tomatoes, so you can search my reviews on there if you'd like as well. Very nice. Uh, awesome. And you guys know where to find me and everything. Um, a couple notes about Patreon. I've been posting a lot of stuff on Patreon. Um, I actually it just created... Um, uh, so Patreon has four four tiers. So $1, $2, $5, $10. Um, what I found is that since I have three podcasts and one, one is for The Twilight Zone, one is for Stephen King, and one is just this... Um, I decided to make separate tiers for just sci-fi stuff on Patreon. So if you are an anthology listener and you just want access to like the science fiction related stuff like commentary tracks for Ex Machina or um, uh, episode reviews of Severance and everything, I have a curated tier for $4 that's for sci-fi content only. Um, And then for Stephen King fans, I have a curated tier for $4 that's just Stephen King related content on the Patreon. So basically, you can either pay the $5 to have access to everything from the $5 to $1 levels, or you can pay $4 to have a curated thing from a specific topic. But anyway, that's all at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, uh, don't know what we're going to do next time on the show, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited nonetheless. Um, so... Uh, Nick, I'm going to kind of start playing us out, but I just want to say thank you once again for joining me for this episode and, uh, definitely hope to have you back, uh, soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again so much for having me. Hopefully, uh, I, it won't be uh, as long a time between when I, when I've said like, yes, I'll do this to when we can actually do it again. This was, this was great, Matt. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was, it was absolutely a blast. Um, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm playing us out now. So once again, thank you guys so much for listening and definitely follow Nick's work, um, on Midwest Film Journal and, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, basically let this run out but <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode of the podcast
And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV, book, and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. At the end of the day, I was kind of just left unsatisfied with the ending, mostly because it felt it felt very it felt like it was going for a certain sentimental tone in a certain a certain um mental kind of tone for for uh, certain characters it was it was g- going for a character end. It was going for a character um, a kind of character-based ending, which is all well and good. Like, that's great. That's stuff that I adore. I adore that in fiction. But it also just kind of seems like a little bit, a little bit expected. Like, it just seems like, it seems like the book is taking, taking its, um, taking a level of its story and it's, or it's taking its story to a point and then taking, uh, like building it up toward that point. And then once it gets to that point, it's just ready to just go the expected route and go go the easy way to end the story. Even though the story itself is a pretty compelling and interesting story and everything. So I don't know. That's as vague as I want to be. Um, with This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Uh, it, he like Suddenly he's quitting his job to pursue podcasting full-time, which right. is is the dream but also (coughs) oh that was terrible um i'm gonna actually take that again (laughs) uh which is the dream but it's also just like out of nowhere and then when you get to the point where he is